I want to continue on uh, what we started last week, and it has to do with uh, the early and the latter rain. Um, the early and the latter rain, as it is in Scripture. And the most popular verse on that is Joel chapter 2 and verse 23. Joel chapter 2 and verse 23. And it tells us, Be glad, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And here it says something quite different. It says both rain or types of rain will fall in the first month. It's because usually or normally what the former rain does, it defines the planting season. And that has its spiritual parallel. So after the former rain or the first rain in a year, the farmers know it's now time to plant and they put their seed into the ground. And then after the latter rain comes the harvest, which is the ingathering of that which the seed within the ground has produced. But here God says that both will happen in the first month. And while I was praying, all right, something just came up in my consciousness and I saw it. And uh, he, the reason why he said they will both happen in the first month is that if you put it back up, he said, I had already given you the former rain moderately, but now I will cause to rain the former and the latter both in the first month. And uh, what this suggests here about I, have, I, I, I had given you the former rain moderately means that in the past, God had already caused a former rain or the small rain to fall in your life. And certain seeds were sown on the inner side of you. But you ignored those seeds. You left those seeds dormant. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. I mean, I was speaking to uh, the pastor of the church in England when, when I was coming from, from Yaba here. And I was telling him, because when we started church, he was here, I said, there's something God showed me. From day one, we started this church. And I struggled with that revelation. I have just come to terms with it to adopt it fully into my lifestyle because it contradicted um, what I understood as to the practice of Christianity. So there are promises that God has already placed within. Uh, there are thoughts he has dropped in your heart. Some six, seven, five, three years six months ago, and they are just lying there dormant. And so he says that, I will revive all of those things and then bring also the latter rain, which is the rain that brings about the demonstration of his power. For we understand that the former rain brings revelation. In other words, revelation of what God intends to do. Revelation of God's thoughts to you as a person. It is through that rain that the seed of God's word 
what God intends to do is planted into your heart. But then with the latter rain comes the performance of those things that God suggested into you in the former rain. So the former rain brings revelation. It's a demonstration of the ministry of the Spirit within you. And then the latter rain is a demonstration of the Spirit of God without. In other words, the former rain, Jesus said, if you thirst, come unto me and drink. That's the former rain. The latter rain is, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. So one is the work of the Spirit within you. The other is the work of the Spirit without, which means an externalization of God's power that is made visible unto every single person. So what God showed you in the former rain, other people experience through you in the latter rain. So we start out on this, and therefore receiving the reign of God in your life, all right, starts with prayer. And the reason why you pray is that you understand the importance of this rainfall, uh, the fact that there are several things you have been trying to achieve in the flesh, and, and if this rain begins to fall within your life, the former and the latter rain, these things are going to just start springing up, and there are even things that are way beyond uh, the ordinary. It will far exceed anything you had imagined or you had attempted or even tried to do in the flesh. So you understand the power of that rain. Uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, it tells us about the effect of that rain. It said the land that you are going to is a land that drinks of the water of the rain of heaven. Uh, and went on further and says, by reason of this rain, you will lend unto nations and you will not borrow. For I will open up my treasure, the heavens, and cause this rain to pour upon you. So as the rain of the Holy Ghost is the empowerment of the Spirit to live our lives right here upon the earth. So it's solely dependent there on praying upon God and you access it first and foremost, right, the power of that rain upon your life through prayer. And we've said the former rain, uh, because of time, I won't be able to go back into everything I said last week, but I'll just lay foundation and get into what I want to say. So the former rain is the rain of revelation. It's the rain that causes you to see. It is the work of the Spirit of God on the inside of you. It's the rain that falls within. Things that no man's eyes have seen, things that no man's ears have heard, the things that no man's heart, including yours, has conceived, the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to you things that God is about to do in your life, are things that are beyond the ordinary, things that are literally, because that's what they are, outside the domain of this physical world that we can see and relate to. There are things that can never be accomplished, all right, in the flesh. These are powerful things that he begins to reveal. He says the Lord God will do nothing but first of all reveal it unto his servants. So he starts revealing these things to you. Uh, the Spirit starts working on the inside of you. It's not visible to any person, but you will start getting really excited about your life and about your future. 
Uh, it will begin to bring joy into your heart, strength on the inner side of you. Uh, you are excited. It says the light of the eyes will cause the heart to rejoice. You'll know what is going to happen shortly. Uh, as the angel took John in the island of Pathmons and lifted the veil and said, Come and behold the things that are about to happen shortly upon the earth. Write these things down. It is that work where the Bible says we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is of God, that we may know those things that are freely given to us by God. So it's the opening up of scriptures where we have encounters, spiritual encounters with Jesus Christ as we read the word of God, uh, where the scriptures are interpreted in a new way to you. Hidden things. Uh, in between the lines, the Holy Spirit starts opening up your eyes to see uh, those things. The prayer is what David offered up in Psalm 119 and verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of thy law. In other words, within the word of God, there are wondrous things. Wondrous things are signs and wonders. Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things. You'll start having glimpses there of the wondrous things, the level of expansion that God wants to bring into your life. You start seeing that, things that are beyond the ordinary. The veil has been lifted up, and that's the former reign, and the Holy Ghost starts ministering to you as you sit down with the Word of God, and, and you are beholding the face of God. The time you spend every day reading your Bible now is no longer just, I'm reading the Bible, I'm having encounters and fellowship all right, with Jesus Christ there, as he's showing me things, uh, the Holy Ghost is showing you things that are to come. Uh, uh, Jesus spoke about this. He said, everything that I said in parables, the Holy Spirit will make plain unto you. He shows you two things. He shows you the thoughts of God, and he shows you the way these things will come to pass. In other words, he says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts and my ways higher. And as the rain comes down from heaven and waters, so your heart starts getting watered, all right, by the Spirit of God as it starts revealing things. Uh, this is what Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 16 to verse 18. And he said, I cease not to give thanks and to pray, all right, for you. I cease not to give thanks, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And when I saw this, I've been praying this over the church, and I'm going to change. I just told them, yes, I was supposed to change it yesterday. But, you know, to write prayer points is not actually easy, all right? So I want to change the, the 5 a.m. prayers and, and make sure it reflects what we are teaching, all right, which is what we're believing God for this year, the latter rain, the former and the latter rain. So give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. And the first thing that will happen is the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened and you will come to know the hope, which means that, the, that what, God, uh, you, you, uh, what God's expectation, what God wants to do, the hope of his calling, you will know that. This is what God wants to do in and through me. And then the second thing is the riches of his glorious inheritance. And all my Christian life, I've read that scripture, I never saw what you were saying. All my Christian life, 
and I never heard anybody teach it, all right, until this rain began to fall on the inside, and I saw that these riches of his glorious inheritance, which meant he will show you the hope of his calling, and then the next thing you begin to see in the word of God are the unsearchable riches of Christ, the riches of his glorious inheritance in you. Uh, all the wealth that God has placed on the inside, you begin to see those things. What David was saying, he has prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You start seeing the riches of his glorious inheritance. That's the former reign there. And then the latter reign now kicks in, which is, and the exceeding greatness of his power to us what who believe according to the working of his mighty power. So the latter reign is that power that fulfills all of that that fulfills the hope of your calling, that, that fulfills and externalizes the riches of his glorious inheritance in you, all right, as a saint. Uh, that wealth, the treasures of God. The Bible says, hidden from ages and generations past. Treasures of wisdom and knowledge, hidden from ages and generations past. He starts unveiling, all right, and revealing those things through you. It's, Jesus said, it's given to you know, to know the mysteries of the kingdom. That's what you are feeding on. But unto them that are without, these things are done in parables. In other words, when the latter rain begins to fall, people begin to say, what's going on? Your events, mysterious things begin to happen. Uh, people, the fear of God comes upon people. Uh, as, as David said, he said, he has put a new song in my mouth. Many shall see it and fear and they will be converted and put their trust in God, which is what he wants to do as he externalizes the power, all right, through your life. So in getting into this, opening up your eyes to see, right, the riches of his glory and opening up your eyes to see the hope of his calling upon your life, uh, we have a phrase we use in Christendom. We say things like, or we say this particular phrase, uh, keep your eyes on Jesus. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Uh, but we don't explain what it means, and nobody asks, what does it mean? So they say, keep your eyes on Jesus. Uh, the question is, that don't put your eyes on the storm, keep your eyes on Jesus. Uh, you say, but how do I keep my eyes on Jesus? When Peter was around, he saw Jesus walking on water, so he could keep his eyes on Jesus. Uh, this Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father, he's invisible. So how do I keep my eyes on Jesus when I can't see the Jesus physically? Now, in order to see him, uh, Jesus was talking about all right, or what we should refer to is keeping our eyes on Jesus, who is the word of God, uh, the written word of God. That's how we keep our eyes on him. John chapter 5 and verse 39, it talks about this. He said, search the scriptures for you think in them, you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. So that's where we have the testimony of Jesus coming out from the scriptures. And so as we are reading the scriptures there, without former reign, the testimony of Jesus is coming, all right, to us. That the Jesus, who, what, who Jesus is, what he wants to do, we are receiving that. And then he goes on. So this is the former. He goes on to say the latter reign. Go to verse 40. He says, and you will not come to me that you may have life. In other words, you think in them you have eternal life, but what they do is they testify of me. So you receive that testimony then you come to me, that's the person, knowing who I am and what I am set to do, and then the life of what you have seen in the word of God will come to you. So it's the former and then the latter reign. But I'm saying that that's how we keep our eyes on Jesus. 
uh, by, by we open the word of God and we are receiving the testimony of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is taking the things of Jesus and showing them to us in a situation. I want to explain this so it's clear to everybody. Showing them to us. And when we look at the word of God, we see Jesus and he's directly telling us from the scriptures what I'm going to do about that situation. Stay in there. This is my plan. This is what I'm going to do through you. This is my power that is going to be made manifest in your life. Now, to explain this properly, I will start from, uh, all right, the beginning, which is from the very foundation of our Christian experience, all right? I mean, I taught this on Saturday on an Instagram live, but it's not proper to teach it on social media, not teach it to the church. As a pastor, that will be the, that will be the height of irresponsibility, all right? To go and teach something in public that you haven't taught to your people is the height of irresponsibility there. It will amount to you going as a father, going to pay the school fees around the whole place. You don't pay your own children's school fees, all right? So people can, so you have to make sure. I mean, you can teach it outside, but you have to make sure everything you teach publicly, you teach, all right? Or you have taught it first, or you at least teach it within that space. Now, if I ask you, just to make sure that, to make you understand how foundational this is, if I ask you that when you, 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 you receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, uh, what are the scriptures that they used to preach to you? Or what are the scriptures that you heard as the foundational scriptures of getting saved? Uh, you will either say, John 3, 16, uh, For God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him, put John 3, 16, uh, shall not perish but have eternal life. Or you will say John 3, 3. All right? And it says there, you must, and answered and said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But the irony of it is that both of them are in John chapter 3. So this is very fundamental, all right, to our Christian faith. So let's look at John chapter 3 and start from verse 1. I want to show something here about the Holy Spirit. The first work he does is to open your eyes, which is this former rain that you might see the wondrous things out of the scripture. So the reading the Bible is no longer just reading the Bible. Reading the Bible becomes watching how your life is going to evolve shortly. It is about, about looking at the ways, not just the thoughts of God for your life, but the ways and the strategies through which that particular thing or the things he's saying will come to pass. Now, there was a man, all right, of the Pharisees, Nicodemus. We know this. He came by night to see Jesus in verse 2. And then he said to Jesus, no man can do these miracles. This power we're saying that thou doest except God be with him. And now Jesus flipped it. He said, the exception is not that God is with me. He said, here is the exception. Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man is born again, he cannot, he said this, see. In other words, what he was telling him was, all these things that I'm doing, these miracles that I'm doing, it is because I can see some things you cannot see. And he said, you must get born again to be able to see these things. All right? That's why when they came, he told his disciples, he said, of all the prophets, there is none greater than John the Baptist, but the least in the kingdom is greater than him. Why? Because when you are in the kingdom and you are born again, he says, the things that prophets and kings desired to see these things the Holy Spirit was revealing continuously to you. 
He even tells us that things, Peter said this, things angels desire to look upon. This is the first privilege, all right, of the Christian faith. That now that you are born again, you can see things, right? That even demons don't have a knowledge of it. Angels, prophets, kings. Jesus said, greater works than this shall you see. He said, because my father will show me greater things, so I'm going to do these greater things. How are you doing these things? He said, because my eyes are opened up. So he said, you must get born again so that you can see, all right, the kingdom of God. You'll be able to see things that other people cannot see. You see into God's kingdom. You see things there. And then he went on there and then began to go on and said, except you are born of the water. And so he explained, one of water is spirit. You cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. You must be born again. And the wind bloweth where it listeth, and you hear the sound thereof and all of that. So we get to verse 12. And then he goes on there and then says this. He says, I have told you earthly things you believe not. He says, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Then he said, no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Then he told him, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, what does it mean to believe that God gave his son? Let's go back to verse 14 and see what he said there. As Moses lifted, now when you say, as somebody did something, it means the same way that person did it. As Moses lifted up the serpent, he said, even so, in like manner, after the same model, after the same pattern to produce the same effect, must the Son of Man be lifted up? Now, we've taken that and simply said, you know, and turned it into a song. You know, if Jesus be lifted up, I will draw all men unto him. He says we should lift up, and we just talk about that lifted and Moses, and we start singing, all right, and think it is praise. Now, that's not what he's talking about here. He said, even as Moses lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And then he said, if you treat, that, if you treat me the way they treated the serpent, will mean believing in him. He says, you will not perish, but have eternal life. So God so loved this world that he gave his son, so that his son will be lifted up, all right, all right, as Moses lifted up the serpent, so that people can be saved. Now, how did Moses lift up the serpent? Numbers chapter 21 and verse 4. Verse 4 is the best way to start. And I'm starting here so that to encourage those of you in Nigeria that, you know, you say it's hard. So, I just thought that we put this in the context of it. And they journeyed from the Mount Hall by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. So, the people were discouraged because of the way they were going through. And then the people began to murmur. They spoke against God and they spoke against Moses. And said, where have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and all of this. Now, the Lord sent fairy serpents, so their situation got worsened. Now, when you complain, you aggravate the issue, and it gets worse. And they sent fairy serpents, and they did bite the people, and much of the people of Israel died. 
Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Now, look at the prayer point. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpent from us. In other words, ask him to remove the serpent. And Moses went and prayed. Now, let the serpents go and just depart from us. Remember, it's the same thing Paul prayed when Paul prayed and said, let this thing depart from me, which was a messenger of Satan that was buffeting him. Let it depart from me. And God said, my grace is sufficient. Now, God did not remove the serpent. What God did was the Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole and it shall come to pass. Anyone that is beaten, anyone who is affected by the circumstance around, when he looketh upon it, will live. In other words, you look upon the serpent, everything changes, your energy comes back, you leave. The same way it says, Jesus has been lifted up in that way, that whosoever looks upon Jesus, no matter the situation in which that person is, that person is going to leave. So the person sees Jesus and the person is looking. The word look is in present continuous tense. In other words, the person fixes their gaze upon Jesus. It says that person, that is the method you should give to the Christian and tell them that change will come when they take their eyes off the natural and set their eyes, follow this, upon what I am showing them in Christ. In other words, I won't change the external things. I am going to change what they are looking at. And once I change what they are looking at, it says that everything going on around will start conforming to that. That is why it tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17, where the Lord is, there is liberty. The Spirit of the Lord is. It says, for we all with an open face, that open face we will see is with the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the eyes of understanding being opened, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. In other words, I won't just tamper with the external. I will give them a better vision. I will open up their eyes. They will see certain things inside that situation and I will change their lives, everything around, into what they are looking at. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. To listen to the full message or any other message, please visit our website at www.insightsforliving.org. For any inquiries, please call 0818-600-0082. God bless you.